You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Evening, uh, where you join us on your popular show called uh, Legal Talk, and Alhamdulillah, Legal Talk, uh, where we feature uh, our popular, very, very popular uh, senior attorney, Ashraf Isuf, who, who Alhamdulillah makes the time for you, dear Ummah. So make special du'as for this wonderful brother of ours whom I embrace and I celebrate. And uh, Ashraf, how are you doing this fine, uh, beautiful evening? And uh, tell us, you're looking fresh, you're looking uh, good, you're looking uh, spiritually, you look like you're in high octane. How are you doing, uh, beloved brother? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, I'm well, Shafat. As you mentioned, this is a beautiful evening. And just this morning, I was reflecting on how much we have to be thankful and grateful for. I mean, we really, really have a lot. And if you just, if you just take take the time to just count your blessings, you will see that it's an immense, immense blessing. So, Alhamdulillah, you know, with the grace and fadl of Allah and the blessings of Allah and um, you know, the good du'as of people like yourself and the, our dear listeners, we are the beneficiaries of such du'as and blessings. So Allah makes it better for us and our prayer in turn is to make it better for everyone else, whatever their requirements and whatever their needs are. But Alhamdulillah, all is well, Shafat. We hope the same for you down there in Durban. Alhamdulillah, Shafat, you know, you're from the, when it comes from the gold reef to the coral reef, hey, we say, welcome, we'll take it. You know, literally, people, you're all in the gold reef. you got the gold, we got the fish, and we have something else here too. I won't get into that detail, but alhamdulillah, really, I feel the love and I feel your warmth, Ashraf, and Allah bless you now and forever for that. You know, something that caught my mind uh, during the course of this uh, week, and, you know, it last week, watching when Imran Khan, you know, they're sitting in, uh, in, in a court, and you find that... Uh, you know, him being abducted in a place which should have been a safe haven, and, uh, which had a so-called, you know, an Islamic country. What went through your mind when you saw this uh, uh, this Imran Khan, someone that, you know, we have uh, grown to respect, being abducted like that? What went through your mind, you know, as someone that's in the legal uh, field, Ashra? Well, I mean, again, it was... Um, so it was sad to see that there is no rule of law, and this is another example of it. Um, you can talk about Khartoum, Sudan, was again, you know, the rule by the generals. Pakistan is going through the same thing. And unfortunately, wherever you look, you know, it looks like the military might will, will always determine the fate of the people, be it in the Middle East, uh, be it in Myanmar in so many different uh, jurisdictions uh, the, 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 the might of the Chinese military or the Russian military or the American military seems to take first place uh, Shafat and the people that are, are subjected to uh, the excesses by the military or whatever, even if it's not the military you know the, the state usually um, will be able to call on both its police and military to basically continue in whatever it wishes to do. Um, look in our country as well, 
the uh, president has deployed the, the army to protect ESCOM's infrastructure. I mean, that's serious. You know, when you when when you when you unleash the army uh, in in a civilian uh, sense. So I'm saying that you see when um, I mean the army has uh, has a civilian role to play as well uh, when there are disasters, natural disasters, etc. But when the army is is leashed, unleashed upon the innocent uh, population in any part of the world, you can imagine what the disaster that is. And at the end of the day, you know uh, the poor people suffer. Shafa. in Imran Khan's case, right? I don't know too much about Pakistani politics, but I know there's this General Munir, and he seems to be uh, hell bent on not letting um, Imran Khan have his say or his day. What what I thought was a a lesson in resilience from Imran Khan, um, and he seems to have the backing of his ex-in-laws, the Goldschmidts. There was a very good interview on the BBC, and it was it was quite surprising to see that. Uh, Mr. Goldschmidt, his um, uh, ex-brother-in-law, had wonderful words for him. So, at the end of the day, you know, the history of the subcontinent is quite a, um, a sad history, actually, Shafat. You see, Hindustan was one country, right? And unfortunately, what had happened was um, the British decided that they're going to offer to cut off Pakistan from India. Now. It was an unfair. Uh, um, it was an unfair game, because we all know that uh, Jawaharlal Nehru uh, was uh, was the lover of Edwina Mountbatten, who was the wife of Lord Mountbatten, the Viceroy of India at the time of partition. So you can imagine that the kind of um, you know uh, intelligence that she was passing on to him, and on the other side you had. Um, Jinnah, uh, who who many people don't know, was actually an Ismaili, and uh, you know Jinnah was was all dressed up as an Englishman. So when you look at this whole partition thing, it was quite, in my view, uh, a disaster, because you now have the failed state. Pakistan is a failed state. Uh, no matter what you do, either they they uh, morally bankrupt or they economically bankrupt. I mean, you can see the scenes that. Um, Unfolding in London, where Nawaz Sharif is is now holed up, and and the protests in the streets and the kind of thing. But you know, it's all undignified, Shafat. You know, when you look at it, you think, oh my God, how is it that um, you know, as Muslims, we actually have brought ourselves down to fighting uh, and hurling abuse in the streets to each other? That's not how it works, Shafat. Uh, secondly. Uh, nationalism is the antithesis of Islam. We don't have a nationalistic agenda. So anyone that says that, you know, I'm dying for this country or that country has actually did not understand the deen at all. You don't die for your country or you You serve Allah. Allah said, I created man and jinn so that they may worship me. That is, I think, our, our life's task. It is not to, you know, um, you remember there was a, a, a beautiful uh, Latin poem that we did in school. 
Dolci et decorum est pro patria mori. Ah, it is uh, lovely and nice to die for one's country and to be a patriot. Dolci et decorum est pro patria mori. How you? I think you and I were in the same class then. English speaker <laughs> like me or you? I don't know. Go ahead, Ashraf. Brilliant. No, what I'm saying in that, you know, it is, uh, you know, it's it's all captured in a few lines that you can't die for king and country. You, that that is not what you were created for. In fact, it's a form of nihilism. You know, the nihilistic mm. uh, viewpoint is that uh, you give up hope in in Allah. I mean, and and you can't because Allah is is the giver of hope, is the remover of difficulties. Allah is the most uh, merciful, and He won't allow you to go through a situation more than you can bear. And I know, you know, people will say, look, all look at all of the world that is suffering. Look, Allah has created that. He, uh, Allah has created uh, that situation. So it's up to Allah, however he decides. Uh, ours is to be the slave and not to complain. But anyway, you can see that, you know, it's just another, for me, another example of the excessive force uh, that can be, uh, you know, misused by the, uh, by the army at times. You saw that in Turkey, you know, a few years ago, there was an, uh, a coup attempt in uh, Istanbul as well. I mean, I saw horrible scenes of people actually getting crushed by tanks. Terrible. That ordinary people have to face this kind of thing. But as always, we turn to Allah in all our, uh, in all our matters, and this is one such matter. Um, I mean... If 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 you again study the history, the geopolitical history of that region, it will make a big difference for all of the workers and all of the, um, you know, the countries. The Afghanistan, uh, which has a large Pashtun population, could join with the Khans of Pakistan, and and create a little trading bloc or you you know something more beneficial. It will become a game changer in that area, I can tell you, uh, Shafa. Also, you must understand, you know, the Chinese are coming in. They want an access to the to the seaport and they've created this uh, uh, belt. What do they call it now? Belt uh, something belt highway. They put a lot of money into it. But that's the situation. That's my assessment of what's happening there. Now that's a uh, brilliant indeed, and you know, I always Imran Khan Iyakanabudu You know, he's really impressed us when you spoke at the United Nations and so so forth. You know, eyes of the Quran saying, "You alone we worship, and you alone we ask for help." I mean, there's a man who's already, uh, you know, they attempted an assassination. He got hurt, injured, and so forth. But uh, the hypocrisy of the West, uh, not uh, you know, making a sound or anything. But, uh, you know, we, uh, there's quite a few uh, topics that are running through my mind, but, uh, you know, perhaps uh, you could just briefly answer them. And it's uh, South Africans who have recently had their life partnership ended can uh, legally apply for maintenance for their former partners. Uh, I don't know what this is all about, but there was a case in the court which had to determine if the applicant, a woman who used to be in a nine-year-old relationship, was entitled to maintenance from the respondents after the relationship ended I mean, all these different scenarios coming through, having short relationships, fighting over maintenance. In most cases, uh, you know, the father figure is not in the life of the kid. And what happens? 
Uh, your thoughts on that, Ashraf? Mm, there's so many subtopics there, Shafa. I mean, uh, single households is a big problem here and all over the world, um, where, where the father is not uh, in, in the life of the child. But coming back to maintenance, so maintenance, is, it's a very old law, actually, Shafa. You know, even um, even if you looked at how the the law developed in respect to uh, respect of uh, divorce, right? Before there to be fought. Now there's no fault divorce. Either party, even the guilty one, can apply for a divorce. So there was a seismic shift between uh, the old uh, uh, fault principle. Then you have uh, the question of maintenance. And one area that people really get confused about, especially when it comes to children, maintenance and access are two different things. We recently had to deal with the matter where uh, it was quite ugly, actually. And uh, the, the, the parents were fighting and the grandparents were fighting with the ex-son-in-laws and they were doing this. And it is really, 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 um, you know, uh, really ugly. But one tried to explain to the parties that look the fact that he's not paying maintenance doesn't allow doesn't mean he won't have access to his children access is completely different from maintenance now you come to maintenance between spouse and spouse so in the systems that we we now have marriages are three um in community property out of community property and out of community of property with the cruel. In this particular case, the court took into account, much as they've done in the past, Shabbat, this is not something new, that even in cases where there's antinuptial contracts, which means that the husband and wife, whatever they share, is, or whatever they own, is their own. Um, the court found that given the, the wife's role as spouse, mother, cook, housekeeper, the chores that she had done, they could actually put a monetary value to that. And, and, and the way you do that is you look at what it would have cost for those services to be hired out. And they said, okay, you made out of community property, but you've got to make good. You only succeeded because you had the wherewithal and support of the wife. So based on that, we're saying that so a big thing that you've got to understand Shafat, is the letter of the law and there is a principle of equity. When it comes to principle of equity, you don't know which way the court will turn. But equity is a very, very important principle because it says that based on equity, you should get something back for your troubles. So that was the rationale behind that case, Shafat. In, 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 in other words, for services rendered, you can pay through your nose for that, eh? If, uh, should yeah. there be the... Mm. Yeah, because it says that you could only work your 16-hour day and build your big empire because you had somebody taking care of the children, the household, the driving, the cooking, the cleaning. You know, you know earlier on we spoke about uh, the, the, the great benefits we enjoy. You know, when you get up in the morning and you get somebody that's going to make up your 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 room and they're cleaning it and there's a nice breakfast and you you know what I'm saying, Shabbat? It's all everything just mm -hmm. falls into place, but there's a price for that. Yeah, pass off, man, sir, pass off.
Yeah, <laughs> you think it's all easy. I know. Hey, you know what I'm thinking. I should have been in the drift with me. Uh, well, a former ESCOM <laughs> chief uh, executive officer, Andre Di Reiter, has launched his uh, surprise tell-all book about, uh, you know, uh, his time at uh, at ESCOM. But I noticed that uh, Praveen Godan uh, said, this guy is treating us like kids in diapers. He treats us like we know nothing. And he's very bitter about, uh, you know, what a director has said. And that's happening. And uh, perhaps uh, have uh, the ANC a case against a director. Oh, he has uh, spilled the beans. And, uh, you know, this will be the end of the ANC. What's your thoughts on this, uh, Ashraf? You know, again, there's so many subtopics there, Shabbat. If you read the, the transcripts of, of the, I mean, I didn't read the book completely. I don't have an interest in that because uh, what's going to change? Shafa, he's come out and he said, look, there's a cabal. This is what they do. They earn up to a, a billion rands a month. Not a million, eh? a billion. And there's all these difficulties and et cetera, et cetera. What changed since he's, he's publicized this? Well, the NC has become defensive. They're going to be issuing summons against him. Um, and, and as you've seen, as you pointed out, uh, Minister Gordon is upset that uh, his name was used and, and how they had met. And, and he says this, I think he used the word Swat Khafar. So, you know, disciplined members of the, of the party will always band together. And they won't go outside the party line, basically. But to us, the men in the street, what difference did it make? Because we're still under load shedding. We just experienced it a few minutes ago. And we're still in for a tough winter. Here up in Johannesburg, it's going to be really a bitterly cold winter. There's no end in sight. We're looking at uh, stage eight load shedding. One thing that is uh, seems to have come through very clearly is there's no total collapse of the grid. But for you and me, the man in the street, Shafat, what difference does it make that there is all this corruption? Is it going to change anything? Did it mean that the next day the government got up and said, listen, enough is enough? What is our Minister of Electricity's role in the whole thing? What we do here is Mr. Kassim, Khasib Kassim. He's, I think, the new or, or the acting CFO. And he says, I mean, in very, very clear terms, we in difficulty, we we in for it because we, there's so many, um, so many generation units offline. And then he says something wonderful. He says, oh, but we do have a cash flow budget of 20 billion to meet uh, short term demand. So he says, thank God, in other words, that we have the money to buy diesel. Now, you know, ESCOM was refused a... Um, a wholesale license. You know how it works, Shafat. If you if you're buying a lot of uh, diesel or, or a lot of petroleum products, so you're not a retailer. Retailer would be your uh, shell or engine down the road. But you can apply for a wholesale license. That means you sell to to everyone, including ESCOM itself. And that license was refused. So whatever the reason for the Department of Mineral and Energy for having refused that license. Uh, is is unknown, but they definitely would have been able to cut out the middlemen. Then you have this um, huge interest in shipping, um, not shipping, in trucking. But there, you know, in this whole uh, story that came out, is, is why pay, uh, why sell to ESCOM at $240, uh, dollar, uh, 240 
rents a, a whatever ton or whatever, when you can get $240 for the same thing if it's exported. Can you, I mean, you know, it, it, can you imagine where the loyalties would lie then, Shafa? Absolutely. And, you know, you're, you're making a lot of sense. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, you look at the, uh, the, the the conundrum that faces us in this country. And then, you know, there's one article that I was looking, and I, I think I sent this to you, where the Department of Justice nailed for negligence after a ransomware uh, attacks uh, that was a cyber attack on that and essentially they say the regulator found that negligent uh, cont- uh, negligence uh, contributed to the department's falling uh, you know victim to this attack i mean it seems as if you know uh, lots of uh, important documents were uh, lost during this attack and uh, does it make any difference because uh, you know when you look at the, uh, the, the, the the what they call the bitcoin and uh, the bitcoin is generated by electricity ashraf and now yeah. when you're getting uh, I mean, you're getting load shedding, you're getting blackouts. What, you think the Bitcoin is going to work here? I mean, you can see the, I, I don't know, the thinking pattern. I mean, how do we think in this uh, time of darkness, in the time of maybe going back to Jahilia, maybe going back to the Stone Age, Ashraf? You know, Shafat, it always is fascinating that we look at these issues and then our our interpretation is colored by what information is put out mm. there accompanying it you know there's very little space for individual thought about these things you know um question is the grid didn't collapse yesterday it it collapsed 15 20 years ago because at that time i remember there were warnings that there was no maintenance of the grid now there was no maintenance then there was no expansion into um, other forms of generation now we have, uh, you know, wind farms in the Northern Cape. We have solar farms in the Northern Cape. And then lo and behold, you had a company that was producing enough and it was it was taken to court by ESCOM and the company was asked to stop. So very, very confusing. And then, the, you know, individual households are now rammed into debt, either through uh, having to, to find, uh, you know, scramble for money for either generation or inverters or even candles, Shafat, you know, simple thing like a candle uh, for the poorer households. It's a, it's a big expense item because it's non-renewable. Uh, you know, once you burn the candle down, it's gone. You have to now replace it. So at the end of the day, you've got to ask now, somebody's making quite a lot of money along the way here. And if that can be addressed, I think it will go a long way towards mitigating some of the harm that we're actually facing now with the uh, rolling blackouts. I mean, of course, you know, crime has increased tenfold. Um, I mean, it's just really, really bad because nothing works, you know, and then the criminals take uh, advantage. I mean, even in so-called safe areas, suddenly there's been a huge spike in crime. So lots and lots of issues around those. Question is, Shafat, why wasn't it addressed and harnessed a long time ago? You know, why did it why did it have to come to an absolute shuddering end before some things, you know, had to take place? Uh, here up in Johannesburg, now we're seeing uh, the new city council and the new mayor. The Al-Jama party fielded both candidates for mayoralship and they got one and 
Molana Ahmed Capello was removed and there's another gentleman there now from the Al Jama. And now it looks like the deputy mayor, uh, Kennedy um, Kuneni, uh, is taking this building hijacks very seriously. They're going in and they're trying to locate the owners. And if not, they're either going to be uh, evicting the people uh, or demolishing it. Of course, you know, you have to obey the rule of law. There was criticism from one quarter that um, it appears to be uh, illegal. Now, it, it's illegal if it's not a, um, you know, backed up by a, a court order. And um, self-help is not is not good, Shepa. Uh, self-help can always lead to problems. Uh, and that's why the state always insists that there has to be a legal process. Earlier on, we spoke about Imran Khan and the legal process. Well, he he was he was um, uh, he, he he was saved by the Supreme Court that declared his arrest unlawful. You know, so there you see the rule of law and the value of not taking the law into your own hands um, that could lead to unlawful arrest and these kinds of things. But um, you know, wherever uh, Islam is is built on on the rule of law. I remember uh, all of uh, the uh, the madhabs was by uh, qadis by uh, like for imam malik was was a qadi was a was a judge um, uh, and they wrote all of the books of laws imam abu hanifa for example and his was written through uh, i think it was imam muhammad uh, but imam shafi hamal uh, and then, of course, we have uh, the Jafari school of thought as well. So what I'm saying is that there's uh, law has always been part of, of human human beings. I mean, Allah has a divine law and that he's revealed it in, in the Quran. I mean, there's, the Quran is, is, a, is a book of laws as well. So there is law and the, the purpose of law is to regulate human behavior so that everyone doesn't run, you know, go around doing whatever they want to. Uh, the law regulates your behavior. And uh, of course, the law is dynamic. You see it changing all the time. Shafat. I tell you, uh, beautiful indeed. And that's why I call him our senior attorney, Ashraf Yusuf. A medley of topics, handling it like a true professional he is. And I'm really enjoying it, Ashraf. I'm really enjoying it. Like, you know, like news headlines, bulletins coming through. And Alhamdulillah, already, it's like, you know, we've gone into AI mode. Allah bless you for this. <laughs> And uh, yeah, you're looking at, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, you, you, you look at uh, Shamila Botoy, you know, Shamila Botoy, that uh, this auntie uh, with the, since uh, Hansi Cronier made her very popular, she's still quite relevant now. So the age of accountability from uh, a new dawn to dusk has Shamila Botoy's uh, National Prosecuting Authority failed South Africans. Ashraf, what's your honest views? I don't think so, Shafat. You know, for us that are in the legal space, we understand the difficulties that the state has, the National Prosecuting Authority. Now, I know you're talking about the New Lane case in um, Bloemfontein where the six people basically were able to walk. <clears throat> now, the question then arises is, uh, there's numerous questions, right? Why did the prosecution proceed with such a case in the absence of evidence? Uh, that is a very, very big question. And I don't think we've got the answers yet because the matter is now sub judicate, right? It's going on appeal. So the the law 
or the rule in law is not to comment on matters that are still before the court. It's not yet done and dusted. When we come to the National Prosecuting Authority, Shabbat, for as long as you know, has the prosecution ever, ever been in a state to take, in a, in a condition to take on top defense counsel? I mean, you can take political cases in our country. You can take, you know, you can take the Mandela uh, and the Ravonia trialist. They were going to get the death penalty. And uh, the prosecution had a very strong case. But at the end of the day, you know, the defense was equally prepared and they spared the lives of the trialists. And they were. So what I'm saying to you, there's no equality of arms really in this thing because the state doesn't have, I would submit, like, uh, you know, the access to the uh, to the to the legal brains that really, really count at the end of the day. And the state sometimes does retain uh, private advocates and things uh, on their legal teams uh, in to, to ensure that a good result is had. Um, you, you also seeing, you know, you're seeing a lot of sideshows at the same time, you know, you're seeing the public protector mm. and her whole inquiry. Then you're looking at our ex-president taking on uh, the the present president, you know, in his uh, private prosecution matter. Uh, so, you know, you, there's a whole lot of side shows. Uh, it's difficult, I would think, for, you know, to, to put, to, to, to pitch the public protectors, uh, sorry, the National Prosecuting Authorities team against some of the um, uh, best legal firms with the best legal minds and the access to best legal counsel. I don't think there's equality of arms there, but the rule of law states, Shafa, the state must prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. And unfortunately, that is the standard, beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal matter. It's a very, very high standard to, to keep up to. In fact, I remember saying that, uh, you know, we were taught in, in university that better nine guilty people go free than one innocent person be convicted wrongfully. So you can mm -hmm. imagine that, you know, that that is a legal uh, a legalism. Uh, and, and that's how it, it works. Because can you imagine if an innocent person is given the death sentence and executed, you can never bring his life back. But the you know, the nine uh, guilty people will, obviously, you know, there is the whole effect that they have on society, etc. But you can imagine how whole, high, how high they hold life, how sacrosanct life is for them to be uh, using an, a, a legalism like that. Yeah, you know, it makes you think uh, sometimes, you know, how the law works. And then we find uh, that the Hawks have been uh, very busy recently. Uh, have You know, a lot of people, uh, white-collar crimes, you know, uh, are being uh, per prosecuted and put into jail uh, because um, a lot of embezzlement of funds and so forth. But many are making the point that, you know, the real big wigs are not being caught, but people that take quarter the money of what these other guys have stolen are getting behind bars. Uh, I mean, crime is a crime, but how 
How would you analyze this, Ashraf? You know, they say if you can't do the time, don't do the crime, Shafat. Whether it's mm. big or small, you know what I'm saying. Uh, secondly, there's always a possibility that if you have information that the state wants, um, you could, you could, you know, you could do a plea bargain because you're bringing uh, justice to, uh, you know, to to the fore. Now, it's difficult to say how. I mean, I, normally in the drug world, you see that the lower end of the, you know, the drug cartels are basically tackled, but the, the higher end is not, whether it's drugs or guns or whatever. I mean, there's, you know, there's there's always the foot soldiers that, that are, uh, are basically the, the easiest target for law enforcement. It's, it is because the, the, let's say the kingpins are so invisible or so well protected or insulated that, um, you remember there was a police commissioner in our time who was great friends with with the supposed uh, uh, gangster or whatever I can't remember now, and he said he's my friend. Finish and Kla. <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, uh, no, no, uh, no, no. It was a yeah, a funny name. Uh, you're talking about uh, uh, Jackie Seleb. Yeah, you know. So you know. So how far does it go? You know, how far are they protected? We'll never know. Because your question then to me is, your, your original question was, do you think that Shamila is doing her job? I mm. remember meeting her and she was saying that she asked the president or she said to the president at the time, look, I'll only take it on if there's no state interference. If, they, if you guarantee me there's no interference. I, I think that there is no interference, but I don't think they, they have sufficient capacity, Shafa. Now, normally the best results are by prosecution driven investigations. So the prosecutor and investigating officer will work together, you know, to see, look, this is the kind of evidence we we need. Uh, is that available? Uh, can the policing be better? Can the preparation be better? What are the problems that we are facing? How are we to overcome? You know what I'm saying? You see it sometimes in the movies that the police are working with the prosecution. I think it's in American movies mostly. I think here we lack that uh, that angle, but of course, the Hawks are also now, you know, doing their their work. They're in a specialized division, and uh, they would, in many ways, independent of um, of the police services because they carry out their own investigation, much like IPUT, you know, the independent police director director. Um, they they also have the capacity to investigate and and reach their own conclusions. Ashraf, are you in the legal field? And, uh, you know, perhaps the question to pose is how many Muslims get into, you know, the positions in Hawks and uh, into, you know, uh, maybe, uh, you know, Justice Muhammad was a legend uh, when it came to law well, and so forth. Well, you'd be surprised, Shafat. Some of our best uh, units are headed up by Muslim generals. Mm. I'm not going to give names on the, but uh, yeah, yeah there's, there's some of the best Police divisions are headed up by Muslim generals, and they they've That's, had an impact. They've had mm. an impact, yeah. <clears throat> because uh, I mean, as Muslims, we should be the most honest human beings on earth. I mean, if we follow wa'atiullah wa'atiul rasul, 
And Alhamdulillah, you know, a lot of uh, powerful information coming through. Well, there was a judgment uh, recently on uh, the uh, responsibilities of our municipalities and so forth. I think this is going to be very interesting for our listeners uh, this evening, Ashraf. So uh, I'm all ears. Uh, Bismillah. Thank you, Shabbat. I think this is a very, very interesting judgment because it affects so many property owners. This is a judgment in the Western Cape. It was basically the body corporate of uh, six sectional title schemes. Now, this is in the area of District 6 versus the city of Cape Town. It was a very recent judgment um, because it was uh, delivered uh, you know, just now, 26th of April, like a month ago. It was by Clouty. But basically, what it said was the following, right? That the body corporate developed certain units um, in District 6. And the city of Cape Town was the registered owner of some neighboring properties, which was seven underdeveloped portions or ervin, right? Like open parking lots and, you know, basically, and there, there this, um, this kind of, uh, the, the vacant lot was being uh, abused, okay? And the District 6, uh, you know, the the uh, occupants, they actually received that in terms of the Restitution of Land Act, which is a different topic, but very, very interesting in itself. And they were engaging since 2017 to try, you know, get the city council to assist in what's happening to the to the site. And the city raised various technical defenses, you know, um, that the unfortunate reality is that even vacant land uh, in District 6, which is close proximity to the CBD, posed a problem and served as a magnet for landless and socially marginalized uh, segments of the community, illegal occupation. So this really became a nuisance. I don't know if you, you, you've been to Cape Town, but I mean, there was mm. there was land where, you know, there was a lot of illegal structures and there was a lot of human uh, occupation, but not, you know, it was really in a, in a bad way. And so, the, so they tried to get them to fence off the area and they take uh, action against these people within six months and get, you know, uh, conduct inspections there and make sure that they're not causing what, what we would normally refer to as a nuisance. In the, in the matter, the city took various points in limine, which is legal arguments like the non-joinder, impossibility of performance, etc. But when the, uh, you know, when the judge decided that, look, man, you know, there's a deafening silence by the city council here, and I'm not going to allow this. So he served the um, uh, eviction order, right? And basically the city then came to to you know came to the party and it was interesting what what the landowners wanted now remember these people had to fight for for this land and get it all back after many many years district six and it has its own magnificent history if you go into it be that as it may the judgment started with a very interesting thing and and this is something that i think people must must take uh, note of when you're dealing with matters. Try and always look at the Constitution. So under the heading of nuisance and contravention of bylaws, the, the court judgment started with 
that Section 24 of the Constitution provides everyone has a right to environment that is not harmful to their health or well-being. This is a very interesting thing, Shafat, because, you know, sometimes you have environmental um, impact studies that don't take into account the the human population. For example, I think in Durban, you, there's one a refinery unit very close to a um, Indian township or something like that, I read. Yeah, I mean, no, it, 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 it is Wentworth and it's a SAPREF, yeah. I mean, uh, they really have polluted the whole, you know, beer bank and so forth. Some people are actually addicted to the pollution. They say, hey, we can't live without that fix. That's on a oh. lighter note. <laughs> Carry on, Ashraf. <laughs> so, so always look at what the pro- Constitution provides. And there I say Section 20, uh, 24 provides everyone has a right to environment that is not harmful to their health or well-being. And it must be protected through le- reasonable legislative and other uh, measures. And there the District 6 community was saying that, look, the city is in breach of, of both the the uh, constitution as well as certain bylaws because they failed to take proper steps to prevent the activities on the site. The activities, they said, was open fires, drugs, screaming, shouting, day and night, urination, defecation in public, uh, nudity, open sexual activity, abundant trash, overgrown weeds, harassment, assaults. I don't know if you've been to Cape Town, but if you're driving through uh, the city center coming from that area, you see this. It's quite, you know, quite something to to deal with. So the city's uh, response was was really uh, wishy-washy. You know, they said they don't condone or tolerate the conduct. And as far as they can see that they're not legally liable or responsible for the conduct of private individuals. And, and they, as owners of the site, they didn't breach any laws. And he denied, strangely, the judge said, uh, that any of the, um, of the applicants had Section 24 rights. Now, there is a bylaw as well. Um, well, there's not one. There are at least five bylaws that were, were alleged to have been breached as well. Integrated Waste Management Bylaw 2009, uh, bylaws related to public places, prevention of noise and nuisance 2007, Community Fire Safety Bylaws 2002, Environmental Health Bylaws 2003, Municipal Planning Bylaws 2015. Why I'm taking time to explain the Shabbat is, remember we spoke of the Constitution and bylaws. So. Uh, if people are affected by this, they might want to get to read what is the bylaw saying, what is the municipal, you know, what they're supposed to be doing in respect of their duties in upholding both the constitution as well as the bylaw. So that is the that is basically how you're going to get the city to to um, you know to start acting on that. There was an interesting matter in the matter of Intercape versus the Minister of Home Affairs in those days, uh, and it was followed by the Mayfair Residential Association. In those days, in the heart of Amalgam, uh, they put up a refugee reception office. And uh, I mean, it was really chaotic. And Intercape had a, uh, a bus station there, you know, where they used to, and then they brought the case that says, look, by putting this refugee office here in the neighboring property, you breach the bylaws because 
the refugees' office constituted a common nuisance. They contravened the city's zoning scheme, and um, and they found that look, uh, the you know in terms of the constitution, a foundational value of the constitution is the rule of law. Remember what we spoke about earlier on, and the notion that the state is not a general is not generally bound by legislation strikes one as antithetical to the rule of law. So the law, the judge said, listen, everyone is bound by the constitution. You are, you are not uh, special. And the, 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 you know, the, the, this area that, that was usually business was now being overtaken by the, the Department of Home Affairs and it's created a nuisance. So basically there, the court also says that there is a constitutional obligation by the city and they're supposed to be making sure that they also obey the law. Um, so basically, you know, you have this kind of laws and, and judgments that assist people, especially regarding environmental health bylaws. Um, so section 152 of the constitution basically says the city uh, has the, the, the obligation to promote a safe and healthy environment. And there it says very clearly the objects of local government is to promote a safe and healthy environment. And it says and under two, that's one, five, two, sub two, a municipality must strive within its financial and administrative capacity to achieve the objective set out uh, in uh, 152 sub 1. So in the case of Mayfair, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was very clearly spelled out that the city of Johannesburg, right, as an organ of state, must, is obliged, it says obliged, to respect, promote, protect and fulfill the Bill of Rights. Now, you will know that the Bill of Rights is that part of the Constitution in Chapter 2 that covers a whole lot of, of rights, the right to dignity, the right to freedom of from psychological stress, the right to enter the country and leave. So there's a myriad of clauses there that spell out what your human rights are. And uh, basically, we know that they often say that the Bill of Rights is the cornerstone of the Constitution and everything in there, especially your human rights, must be uh, must be protected. So the right to environment is, I would think, a very often overlooked right, Shepard, when it comes to actions that we may have against the City Council, uh, especially where, you know, now where they, where they don't um, take care of parks or they allow sewage to overflow in the street. These are all these all impact on your on your rights, your right to a safe environment, which, as we've now laid out, is both constitutionally protected as well as protected in the various bylaws. So, there, whatever the 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 city said, uh, it was not obliged to do. Well, the judge said no you are obliged to and you are bound by the constitution, including the fact that you had to make sure that their fires were not, you know, Cape Town is known for 
the uh, fires on Table Mountain and make sure that fires are not basically left unattended. Um, it, uh, it recommended remedial action. It said one housekeeping had to be improved and uh, accumulation of combustion material must not create a, a fire hazard. Vegetation had to be cleared and maintained. Rubbish had to be removed and very importantly, informal structures had to be removed. So there you see a very you know, interesting case. Uh, and, and look, the judge went you know, point by point. He dealt with the prevention of noise, nuisance bylaws uh, in streets and public places, and what kind of prohibited behavior uh, you know, uh, what a person couldn't do in a public space. So it says, when in a public space, intentionally block or interfere with the safe or free passage of pedestrians or motor vehicles. Now, you know, there they, a lot of the pedestrians were talking about them not being able to get to Cape Town Station, you know, dodging these people, uh, uh, harassing you. Uh, or it says here, intentionally touch or cause physical contact with another person or his property without that person's consent. These are all the things that you cannot do in a public place, uh, Shafa. Uh, approach a fellow person, individual or group of people by words or gestures likely to influence or cause that person to fear imminent bodily harm or damage or loss of property. Continue to beg from a person or closely follow a person so here you have begging was not allowed in public places. And, and that is a very important bylaw, which is often not uh, 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 not implemented. And you can't use abusive or threatening language uh, in a public place, fight or act in a riotous or physically threatening manner. And so the judgment goes on to deal with noise and how noise must be dealt with integrated waste management, a very, very interesting judgment in my view, uh, because the court also spoke about nuisance outside the Constitution. So there's nuisance in common law. Common law is what basically, you know, the law that, that forms part of South African law generally um, without having recourse to the Constitution. So you can have common law, constitutional law, and uh, you can have um, uh, uh, municipal bylaws. So Shavad, the, the judgment is lengthy, right? But I think a very welcome judgment for people to look at if they if they're looking at um, interdictory relief against the city council. And here, people, you know, that were just basically in one area that had put a lot of money into their properties were not going to take it lying down that the municipality was not doing anything. And um, yeah, the costs were also granted against the municipality. And there you have it, that there was a remedial action put into place. There was an interdict against the de uh, department. And they said uh, to the uh, city council, you're not going to get off that easily. So I hope I've done justice to this in, in a very short time, but a very detailed uh, look is necessary for people that wish to hold city councils um, uh, liable.
Uh, Ashraf, uh, you really summarized that uh, brilliantly and beautifully, and it made for easy listening. And uh, I digested every fact there. And Alhamdulillah, it's important that uh, you know people know about uh, judgments like this. And uh, you know, Allah bless you abundantly for that. And I know when uh, you, you know you deliver on uh, your program, uh, you know, on on legal talk, you do it with so much of enthusiasm and your freshness. Allah keep you fresh like this now and forever. And you know, you have a way of delivering also which is a gift uh, given to not many, but a chosen few, and you are one of them. Perhaps your parting words uh, this evening, Ashraf? Well, I mean, to all your kind words, and, you know, I am I, really grateful that I'm able to serve and that people benefit by whatever ability we have, um, and, and people can, can take advantage of it and, you know, make use of it, because what use is knowledge, you know, if you're not able to share it. My parting words, as always, Shafat, is... Um, is is uh, to to remember the blessings of Allah, uh, remember the people all over the world that don't have the same kind of blessings, be grateful for what we have, help and strive to help other people. Always, always read the Surah Yasin daily if you know if you can with meaning because it is the heart of the Quran, and uh, it it has great benefits. It, uh, you know, it is a protection, and in this day and age, and and at all times, you know, we can never be without the protection of the Creator, for for all all of His uh, blessings that He's given given us, and we ask Allah. I, I read this morning it was very simple dua, that the Rasul Sallallahu said, in the morning he said, Allah, uh, give me the the good of the day and what is what is in it and protect me from the evil of the day and what is in it. A very simple dua to remember when we're leaving our homes. Um, and as always, you know, make dua for us, make dua for everyone that we know, make dua for those that have passed, make dua for those that are coming, make a dua for, for Allah's help for get, getting us out of whatever system is forbidden, we mustn't participate in it uh, and ask Allah to, to rescue us from it and you know return us to the true deen of islam an economy without usury and governance without government so that you know we we govern by the book of allah uh, in all of its justice so that is my parting words uh, shafa zakalakira you have a blessed and a beautiful evening ahead inshallah we'll talk to you soon assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and thank you once again. You're most welcome and time for us to go for the Shazan and inshallah we will continue after that.